Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lori. And we're the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. Hello, and welcome to another Tuesday morning with the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. How are you doing, Rachel? (laughs) I'm struggling with my hair this morning, but other than that, I'm good. (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I just looked at my uh, charger, and I'm probably going to have to get up at some point and plug my my computer in, but you know, we're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. And our sweet puppy had a rough night. He like Aww. he peed on the bed right before like after I was in bed but Dave wasn't in bed yet so we had to like change the sheets right as we were getting into bed it was obnoxious but oh, so but he's still adorable and that's really what matters that is that's really really all that matters completely <laughs> um good well today we are going to be talking about masturbation This is a hot topic, I think, for many Christians and many people who are coming out of Christianity and dealing with sexuality and sex positivity. And so we're going to dive in and share our experiences. So, Rachel, my one question for you is, tell me what you were taught about masturbation growing up and how were you raised to consider it? Um, So I was taught that masturbation is wrong. And the Catholic Church is like, I mean, like most things with the Catholic Church, it has a very clear understanding of why it is that masturbation is wrong. And what it generally says is that sex should be unitive and procreative. This is the language that's used in Humanae Vitae. Um, And that basically any sexual act that you do that doesn't fit into those two categories is obviously sinful. So because it's a misuse of the gift of our sexuality, um... I was somebody, though, who didn't realize that what I was doing was masturbating. So I, while I certainly at some point in time was told by my parents, like, you should do this in private, I was never, I I never really made the connection between what I was doing and masturbation. So I just continued to masturbate throughout my life until I was no longer as conservative and then just kept doing it, but without feeling as much like I had to hide it. I mean, obviously, like, not being an exhibitionist about it ever, but, like, previously it had felt like this, like, secretive thing that I had to, like, hide, and then I was like, oh, I can just do this. And I didn't even realize that it was masturbation until, like, I'd made out with somebody and been like, oh, those are the same kinds of sensations that I feel when I do this other thing. That must be what that is. Um, So I feel like I really dodged a bullet on that one, but that's sort of the that's basically what I was taught about masturbation. Nothing super, super robust or crazy. Just don't do it. It's wrong. Interesting. Yeah, I was taught absolutely, absolutely to not do it. Like it was a no. Um, I think I was also taught, so I think as a woman, I was taught like multiple different layers of things. Like I remember being told, don't touch yourself. And I was told it would um, make me sick, which I think I was basically about, like, you know, getting an infection or something like that. Like Like a UTI or something. Yeah, like your hands are dirty, so, like, don't touch down there. And it was a course was called Down There. No one ever called it a vulva growing up. I didn't have a vulva. I had a Down There or, like, varying different other names, of course, because we're very afraid of naming women's genitals um, or the vulva in general. But uh, so I was taught not to do it. But then I was also taught that like I didn't have a sex drive, that I that I wasn't interested in having sex in the same way. So masturbation was something that boys did 
it wasn't something that women did. And so my job was to be modest so that men didn't masturbate to the memory of my image. So in moments where I would play with myself, I didn't really associate it with masturbation for a very, very long time. I would say I didn't consider it masturbation until I was like a senior in high school. So I had this understanding that when I touched myself, it felt good. But I didn't associate that feeling good with sex or arousal or anything like that. I just associated, and I had like romantic fantasies in my head, but those almost existed separately from Mm -hmm. touching myself because I didn't, I just, I didn't connect the two ideas in my mind. And then it wasn't until I had a friend who talked to me about how she masturbated that I actually started to question and wonder what was going on. And so I did, and I thought I had completely sinned. I thought I had done something terrible and wrong. And so I only did it once, and I really avoided it for a while. And that was until I really didn't go back into masturbation until well after I was married. So I had incorporated toys into my married sex life. But then when I was at the School of the Womanly Arts, which I talked about in my first podcast, when becoming acquainted and knowing your body was really reinforced and encouraged in that community – And so I had to do a lot of inward journeying. So at this point, I'm around 27 years old, and I'm doing a lot of internal investigation into what my relationship with my vulva is, how I understand it, and how I understand owning my pleasure. And if I can own my pleasure in a cup of coffee, can I own my pleasure in pleasuring myself? And so I... Actually, I mean, I have a, like, a really incredible experience of being in New York City for one of these weekends and lighting candles all over my studio, turning the lights down, getting some lubrication, some lube, putting this, taking this big mirror that was on the wall and like leaning up against the bed in um, the Airbnb and just looking at myself and looking at my vulva. And so I didn't I don't think it would fall under the classification of masturbation, but it was this moment where I was able to become acquainted with my vulva in a way that she was mine. She wasn't something that was dirty. She isn't something that belonged to my husband. She wasn't something that belonged to another person in any way. She was just this really beautiful part of my body that gives me tons of pleasure, is deeply connected to my health, And we have, as um, people with vulvas, can have a very intimate relationship with our vulvas because we think about them, where are they in their cycle, we can get, most of the time I go to the doctor, it's because I either have something related going on with my vulva, like, (laughs) or I'm just getting a pap smear. Um, So, like, she's just this part of my body that I have a relationship with. And so the idea then shifted for me that masturbation is not, um, it's not just a sexual act, but it's a reconnecting to my body in a way that is like, this is something I own. So that I think was the beginning of that process. And I think I had, didn't see it as a sin at that point, because how could a part of my body that God made me owning it be a sin? That would be like me getting manicures you know, the way I take care of my hands and file my nails and 
do get my nails done would be a sin because it like as if I'm like but it's my hand so I'm going to take care of my hand I'm going to lotion my hand I'm going to you know put gloves on my hand so my hands feel good like it's my hand I felt like it kind of I put it in the same category in a way and so then after that masturbating with even a toy or something like that just became an actual like very much intertwined with a spiritual experience for me of like this is my body and this is and I think of St. Teresa's prayer in association with this like <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm saying this out loud and I can understand it sounds silly to probably some listeners but like Christ has no hands and feet on earth but but yours like our bodies are sacred and that includes our vulvas and so the relationship between vulva and masturbation for me is 100% intertwined with the Imago Day. Yeah. Um, I had a question as you were speaking, and I'm trying to remember what that was. Um, I feel like when I, I very recently um, sort of treated myself to some body sex sessions with Carlin Ross, who used to work with Betty Dotson before Betty Dotson died. Um, and Betty Dotson is a woman who, sort of in the 1970s, she started a movement to really help women embrace masturbation. And so she would have these circles of women using the Hitachi magic wand, which is like a classic massive vibrator, um, all basically like coming in a circle together. And I was like, I really want to see what a body sex workshop would be like. And this is, of course, during the pandemic. So it was like, well, I get to do this from the comfort of my home. I don't even have to travel to New York and like whatever. And one of the things that we did was a vulva show and tell, which was so amazing to have someone else, right? So literally Zoom, legs spread, propped up under like pillows under my pelvis so that I'm like tilted at the right angle so that like she can see with the the video, which is so funny that I'm admitting that this happened. But um, <laughs> so Carlin did this beautiful job of, I mean, obviously this is her job. She's done this for years and years of describing my vulva to me mm. and like describing the colors and like the shape of my inner labia, which I know there's lots of women out there who are like, why are my inner labia bigger than the outer labia? It's because it's normal and natural and all of us look slightly different and there's lots of different shapes to it and all that kind of thing. But it was absolutely amazing. I mean, like, I don't, I don't consider myself somebody who has like a ton of shame around how I look and how my vulva looks, but it was just amazing to have somebody reflect back with such positive language around like, oh, how beautiful that bubblegum pink is. And like, oh, and then it turns into sort of a raspberry color or whatever. Like, it's just, it was just so amazing. And I came out of that session and was like, Dave, you have to come look at this. And it was like such a funny moment of being like, no, 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 but this is like so cute and wonderful and she's adorable and I love her. Um, and it was something that could only happen with actually like someone reflecting back to me all those positive components of it because we've been taught as women, even if we haven't been told overtly this is dirty and gross and whatever, we've been taught that it's like dirty and gross and whatever, um, even though that's not the case. And so anyway, just share that to be it was just really lovely to have someone reflect back how beautiful she is. Yeah. I think what you're hitting on, I think, so often is something that intertwines with women's disdain for our own selves is our disdain for our bodies. 
which I think when it comes to people who are identified as female at birth and still identify as female as adults, ends up very quickly becoming that our bodies are broken and gross in some way. And I don't know if you were describing the instructor or you're describing your your vulva, but you said she's so cute. And I thought to myself, I think it's so rare that we feel comfortable identifying our vulvas as cute or adorable or holy or all these other words. Um, we want to describe her as gross or smelly or disgusting or evil or wrong and all these things. And it becomes so upsetting, I think, for ourselves and our relationships with our bodies. And I think is one of the many reasons why women struggle with masturbation is because it's almost this moment where you have to admit that that part of your body is yours and that you get to enjoy it. And then that moment is when you can begin to associate I keep on wanting to say pussy. I guess I can. Um, Just say it. <laughs> I was like, well, we get censored. You know, we don't want to associate pussy with, um, with, with sacredness. And so then we end up disconnecting from our bodies. Then we disconnect from the self. And I think in many ways I do think masturbation – or maybe even not just masturbation, but what you were experiencing, what I was talking about in the studio in New York, is just like a, a moment of acknowledging the beauty of what a pussy and a vulva is, is a moment of stepping towards something sacred. Yeah, And it's tricky because I feel like we, we know how to... Um, we know how to do that for other parts of our body, right? Like we don't really have a problem being like, my hair is beautiful or like my hips are gorgeous or like obviously we all have got some body image stuff because that's our society. But like there's much more comfort in saying these other parts of ourselves are beautiful. Um, and I think it's, I mean, obviously also with your vulva, it, to be able to see it, you've got to be like, you have to have a mirror involved and it's kind of, you got to be at a weird right angle and like be propped up with pillows and whatnot so there's a little more challenge to it but it's still totally possible to look at that part of yourself with love and affection and appreciation and I think it helps with enjoying sex as well because I think it opens the door to be able to say this gorgeous diamond between my legs is available to also like be shared with another person without shame and it opens the door to be able to like if you're if you don't like your hair you wear a hat and you hide it and you try to cover up your hair or you put it in a ponytail in a way that is going to keep it hidden not in like a cute ponytail <laughs> and like um and it, like that's the same with any other part of our body so if we're ashamed of our body then we're not going to understand why another person would want to participate in the enjoyment of our vulva if we're going to be so yeah if we're going to be so ashamed of it in our, for ourselves totally and when when we're not fully embracing like that this is a part of us that's that's good that is lovable that is cute or whatever language you want to use to describe it that's positive um it will feel less like it's something you want to share with someone. So there's like this 
it, and it, I think there's also a way in which it becomes like, I can't believe this person wants to participate in this. Like, there's an almost an apology for the smell or the look or the taste or the whatever as you participate in in partner sex if you don't feel super cozy and comfortable with yourself yourself. And one of the things that um, Carlin and I talked about with the body sex program that we went through was we were talking a lot about just how like you are your first sex partner and how can your sexuality and your pleasure really be for yourself first and then you get to opt into sharing that with other people which is a radically different way of viewing it than what I was taught as a Catholic was the way this was working right it was mostly as a shared experience first and so you wait until you have somebody to share it with before you experience pleasure before you experience your sexuality and so to flip that totally on its head and say actually like sex is for you first and it's not for you in the sense of like sex as partner sex is for you first but solo sex is for you first before you share with someone else and when you can frame it that way it radically shifts your way of of experiencing the act of partner sex but it also radically shifts your understanding of how you're experiencing solo sex or masturbation. I prefer solo sex because it, it feels like you can put it on the same. It feels like we're, we're less, um, there's less of a hierarchy. It's just like, these are yeah. two different kinds of sex that you can have. <laughs> I, I also wonder about the etymology of masturbation. I don't know what, I don't know its etymology, but the word master is in it. Either. And I feel like there might be something hmm. very interesting that about that. Um, it also leads me to think about what the purpose of masturbation is and why do we why do we masturbate and and is there a goal in mind and I think we've talked about before about when we have orgasm as the goal of partnered sex that can be a problem because orgasm isn't always attainable for everyone and so we have to be able to see it as enjoying the process of sexual engagement and it makes me think I mean, well, as the sex therapist, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I have thoughts about the evangelical theological understanding of masturbation as well intertwined with that. But I feel like perhaps some actual concrete information would also be useful. About just like orgasm in general and pleasure in general. Um, I think what's helpful to know is that so men, men will have less problems um, having orgasm generally experiencing orgasm than women do typically and if you're a dude listening to this and you do have trouble orgasming that's also not super abnormal especially as the prevalence of pornography has increased so if you're somebody who watches pornography a lot and you're a dude and you're having trouble um, experiencing orgasm I would recommend as a sex coach diminish the amount that you use pornography as you masturbate and you'll probably see your ability to orgasm come back but the other thing that you should look at is go to see a urologist and make sure everything's checked out okay now that we've gotten that tangent done with for women women require a lot of stimulation to have to have us get aroused enough that that orgasm is is going to happen so one thing that's really important to know is that orgasm is a reflex just like you know when you're sitting at the doctor's office and they put that hammer against your knee and you kick 
it's like that. It's automatic. It will happen if you do the right things. What happens to most women who are having trouble experiencing orgasm is they're not taking the time to actually stimulate themselves enough in order to be able to have their entire clitoral their entire clitoris get engorged with blood, right? So similar to the way that like we see externally a man have an erection because there's an influx of blood, women have the same thing happen, but it happens to their clitoris, which isn't just that little tiny pearl that we can all see on the outside, but there's these, and you can Google this, um, there's a lot of internal erogenous um, tissue uh, that goes all around the vagina. It goes like into the pelvic floor a lot, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of times women actually need like 10, 15 minutes of of general touch. This doesn't mean you're like just rubbing your clitoris for 15 minutes. I don't think most women would find that really annoying at a certain point. Um, but sort of like the whole vulva getting massaged with lots of lubrication because lubrication makes everything feel better. Um, but really stimulating the entirety of the erogenous zones that are that are the parts that we can't see because they're internal and then moving to the clitoris when it feels good, which for some women will be, it never feels good to touch for direct stimulation of the clitoris, which in that case, when you explore, um, if you're not familiar with this already, the clitoris actually has like a little stem almost. Um, so if you're touching your clitoris with your pointer finger and your nail is on there sort of around where your first knuckle is, you'll find like a little, I forget exactly what the term of it is, but there's actually like a little hard piece that feels like a little stem. And like that area can feel really good to stimulate as well. It just sort of depends. And the way you figure out what feels good is by getting your hands dirty, so to speak. <laughs> um, grabbing some oil and just playing around um, and figuring out, oh, this place feels really good today. And then like the next day it feels better in a different way, mostly because women's hormones shift as our cycle changes. And so it's important to to know that that's actually why what feels good and what doesn't feel good changes. It's not actually because we're crazy. It's because our hormones are shifting constantly. So all that to say that most of the time women just need a little bit more stimulation um, for longer periods of time and more area covered as they stimulate And then comes the feelings, I think a lot of women, especially if they've been raised in like purity culture, there's a fear of what turn on feels like. And so arousal actually feels terrifying. And there is truth in that because the feeling of arousal is very similar to the feeling of anxiety. So if you're somebody who experiences anxiety, arousal will feel like, oh my gosh, am I getting to have a panic attack? You are not. Um, And if you can shift your perspective of saying, oh, this is arousing, rather than this is anxiety provoking, it can really help you move toward being able to hold more sensation. Um, The other thing that's really important to note is that excitement and anxiety are also very similar emotions, just generally in life. And I remember I had a therapist once that was like, maybe when you feel anxious, sometimes you can like frame it in your mind, reframe it in your mind and say, I'm actually really excited about this. And I think I go back to this idea. I think I talked about it in some other episode of like a a roller coaster where like, are you anxious about going on the roller coaster? Are you excited about going on the roller coaster? And you have the opportunity in that moment as you wait in line to decide, am I anxious or am I excited? And we can do the same thing around feeling aroused if that's something that feels anxiety ridden. Yeah. And I think that's important, especially 
for those of us who are raised evangelical, is masturbation was often associated with um, lust. And it was associated with this idea of lusting after another person. And so you're going to get an orgasm, imagining that you're having sex with them, and that is an act of objectification, and then that is wrong. And so it's wrong to masturbate. Because masturbation wasn't seen as something that you were doing with your body in a realm of pleasure. It was seen as something that you're doing as a substitute for sex with another person that you can't have sex with. Which is how we know these <laughs> things are made by men. <laughs> Just like generally speaking, men tend to use visuals way more than women do. Um, men are more visually aroused. Women tend to be more aroused by sound or by reading a novel or simply by focusing on the right. sensations that they're feeling. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think that there are ways, I think, for men to just enjoy the sensation of touching themselves and just enjoying the feeling of being touched with a penis or touching their penis. But I think that when we, when we re- associate masturbation only with the Im- image of another person, that's when it can become really really broken down and that's when we start getting into spaces around lust and things like that and also i think the other thing that comes up a lot when we talk about masturbation particularly in conservative circles is that it immediately parallels with porn and i know porn is probably a completely other episode and i think that maybe i'm not going to try to like dip my pinky toe into this but you do not need porn to masturbate and um it is it is two separate they are they're two things that can exist together and do often exist together but are not married to each other they're not they're not linked all the time and so you can 100% enjoy your own body without seeing images of other people and without um, seeing another person and one thing that I did want to talk about is the difference between lust and also enjoying enjoying sexuality in general And I think about this when I think about when Jesus says, if you look at another woman with lust in your eyes, you should jab your eyes out. That's a a paraphrase. But basically Jesus... I like the jab language though. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if the original Greek says jab, but I think the idea is that when lust is brought up in the Bible, it's always the responsibility of the luster, not the responsibility of the, the, the... person I was going to say object the person being lusted after and I think a lot about art theory when I think about this and subject object perspectives where the subject the 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 gazer is defining the the subject being gazed at so for those who don't know when you go to a museum and you look at an art piece the the theory is that the experience of the art happens when you see the art piece it doesn't happen necessarily just by the art piece existing on its own. So it requires someone to look at it. Lust, I think, works very similarly, where it's the person, the way the person who is looking defines the person that they're looking at is what lust is. Now, we can look at someone with what I call the erotic gaze, which is I see this, I'll use a man because I'm a straight woman, I see a man and I think, 
Whew, he looks really good. Who is he? What's his name? What does he do? Why is he here? I should go up and ask him who he is. That's drawing me towards his humanity. Me being attracted to his looks draws me to his humanity. Versus, ooh, he looks good. I wonder what he looks like with his shirt off. I want to lick him. Like, those things would fall under a category of lust. Now, is it wrong for me to have sexual desire for that person? No. It's wrong for me to desire them as an object to satisfy my sexual desire and not as a human being to connect with. And for those of you who are thinking that this is not something that men are capable of doing, you're wrong. Because when I was only dating Christians, this seemed like something impossible because I think we teach men that this is how their sexuality works. But the vast majority of men I interacted with who were not raised in evangelical communities or conservative communities thought the attitude of the what I call the lustful gaze of like just seeing a, a woman as an object was weird, unhealthy, and they had never, they didn't really understand where that perspective was coming from. And they felt that it such an important point to make because it is definitely something that I've experienced in coaching people is that the idea of being able to see a woman as simply an object of sexual desire is something that I think gets taught through purity culture. It's not something that is innate in masculine sexuality. It is a unique thing that comes out of purity culture. And many of the men that I shared this with were offended because they saw it as a very anti-man way of understanding sex. And honestly, it really is. For us to reinforce the idea that our brothers and our sons and our the men that we work with are incapable of seeing women as human beings if they are attracted to her is saying something really, really terrible about men. Because the men that I know love the women in their lives, whether they're friends with them or whether they're romantic partners with them, and they love them not because they want to have sex with them. They may want to have sex with them as well, but that is intertwined with the beauty that they see in who they are. And if you're a woman listening to this, do not end up with a guy who thinks that he can only <laughs> don't don't do it. <laughs> Break up with him immediately because it's not it's not the best for their sex life and it's not the best for your sex life. So when this relates to masturbation, I think this is really important. Because when you do start imagining another person, if that aids you in your turn on, what I think that is important to know is that I don't consider it lust, at least for me, theologically, because if you are seeing that person as a human being who you are attracted to more than a vehicle for your arousal, then that is, in my opinion, an appropriate way of encountering the experience. When we remove that person from their humanity, then that's a problem. But that takes that's, that's part of our interaction with them throughout our lives with them, not just in the moment. And I think when it them. comes to even, like... 
imagining, let's say, a celebrity or somebody you don't actually know, there's still the potential for that curiosity about the more about the human being behind that visage. Um, Yeah, I actually would also say that I don't even know if that would be sinful to simply be imagining somebody while you are masturbating, even if you're just thinking about their physicality. Um, And I don't really have a good reason as to why I would stand by that. But I think a piece of it is that a lot of times, like, I know that when I'm masturbating, I'm not like actively deciding what things are going to come to mind (laughs) necessarily. It's a little bit more of like a, where is my imagination taking me? And then me going along with that ride. And because of that, I don't think that there's, I don't, I wouldn't use the word culpability, but I feel like there's less sinfulness in the, the, that idea. I think if we, I think there's also a way that, and this might be a justification. People might think this is just me justifying my actions, but there's a way that if you know that the person that you're thinking about as you're masturbating probably wouldn't care or they might feel good about the fact that you're using them as an object of sexual gratification in your mind, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either, right? Like that I think would actually be totally cool. Even if in that moment you're not actually considering their whole personhood, you're just considering their physicality. And I, yeah, that's where it gets really tricky where I think the... I, I understand where the theology would be coming from to make an argument like what you were saying, Lori, but I don't know that, like, and I don't have a good theology as to why I would say, like, nah, think about whoever you want to think about while you're masturbating. It doesn't matter. Well, let me clarify, because I one thing that I, I think I might have said but I don't mean <laughs> is that you have to be thinking, like, like, if I'm thinking about my boyfriend, for example, I'm not going to be necessarily thinking, like, oh, he's such a nice person. (laughs) And like, he really like, oh, he's so smart. And like, those things are extremely attractive about him. And those are things that that's why he's my boyfriend. But I'm going to be thinking about his body. Um, So like, and I'm going to be thinking about how attracted I am to him physically. But I think it also interacts with the fact that when I'm interacting with him as a human being, I'm not interacting with him as a body for my sexual gratification. I'm interacting with him as a fellow entrepreneur, an intellectual person, someone I respect and admire. And I think that that's what I kind of mean. It's more that if you're really attracted to someone in your life and you're thinking about them when you're masturbating, are they an object of your sexual gratification when you're talking to them face-to-face? And I think lust becomes when they are only a sexual object and not someone that you see with a full range of depth, emotions, and spiritual entities. When we and it doesn't necessarily have to be a super heavy-handedness with it because I think, I mean, I just think, I'm thinking more of like, not so much like random things that you might find on the chive or in like pornography, Again, pornography is like such a huge topic, but it's it's a lot of a lot of its ethics of of pornography use. Um, but yeah, when I think about like 
are you, uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky when you look at like people that are just common images, right? So like, I don't know, Brad Pitt and Fight Club. I don't think I know any heterosexual woman that's not like, that is amazing. Like, he looks great in that movie. Um, Are we just lusting after Brad Pitt in Fight Club? Because certainly his character is not one that we're going to like, wish to be in relationship with. Right. No, I mean, I guess that that makes sense. How we would think about that. I definitely have some characters on TV shows that I have thought about that I don't ever want a relationship with um and that's I the beauty think, of fantasy also is that like yeah. you can fantasize about having experiences that you definitely do not want to have in real life which well, is I the think beauty of fantasy it still comes down to how would you interact with brad pitt in real life in person yeah <laughs> no i mean I, and that's made sound crazy because like if you ever well he's a little bit maybe in real life he's too old but anyways i don't know what your what your numbers are but <laughs> no judgment but i feel like if you were to interact with him and just be like oh take off your shirt like and he's like i'm just trying to like get on the subway human or here like, yeah i'm here to sign autographs don't ask me to take my shirt yeah off. like that's when weird. we move into a place of lust but when um so if i were to run into orlando bloom um like even as much as i find him in pirates of the caribbean one since i think since high school as like one of the most handsome men in the world if i were to run into him in person for me to just like start like putting him in my fantasy then that would be i would call that lust Hmm. because i also think the key about lust is that it's it's wanting to own or possess something and if I want to limit Brad Pitt, Orlando Bloom, Leonardo DiCaprio into their like categories of who they are in my fantasy and only let them be my fantasy, then I'm not letting them be free individual human beings. Right. So I think that's what lust is. And when – so when it comes to masturbation, you can think about someone sexually – so long as you understand that you don't own them and they don't become your object to be owned. And I think what happens a lot in situations of abuse in, in, I can only think of these happening in religious spaces, although I know they happen in other spaces, is when, when somebody finds that they're attracted to someone, so they think they own them because of their attraction. Mm, Like in Hunchback of Notre Dame with the... Yes. Esmeralda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he and so she she must then his his attraction to her doesn't become oh my goodness I want her to live the greatest fullest most beautiful life possible it becomes I I want her to be killed because she can't be mine right that's lust um, and I so I do think you can think about someone when you're masturbating and not see them as your your property right and not see them as like. And not have it have to be somebody that, like, it's not just, like, my husband. Um, right. Or it's not somebody you already have a pre-existing relationship with that, like, is developed and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's to clarify what I meant because I don't – That yeah. was perfect. And I think especially as somebody who's really – the word lust was was definitely thrown around when I was growing up. But it, it seems like 
as an adult, it's really hard to wrap my mind around like, what would lust really look like? And I think the way that you're describing it is like, it would be really hard to lust after somebody if I'm just like a normal integrated human being. Um, yeah. Um, the other couple of things that I wanted to talk about before we, we end is just some of the, the historical ways in which like, why is masturbation taught to be wrong in the church anyway? And the church sort of broadly construed and then also the Catholic church specifically and why those things may or may not be like things that you want to abide to based upon a further understanding of what's going on. So generally speaking, masturbation is considered wrong because it comes from the concept of natural law, which natural law talks about how there's a talos. We've talked about this before, but everything has a talos. And so penis has to go into vagina because tab A fits into slot B and the purpose of sex becomes the the potential procreation of a child. So any act that doesn't lead to procreative sex is considered sinful. So in the Catholic Church, if you give somebody a blowjob, but you don't finish with procreative or potentially procreative sex, you are doing something that's sinful, even if it's your spouse. Has to end penis and vagina. Um, which I disagree with, but that's the way the church would teach that. So basically, that's coming from natural law. That's coming from a natural law concept, which most people today, if you really study natural law, there's some people who are like strongly for it, but most like postmodern individuals, when they learn about natural law, are like, this is crazy. The other thing that natural law never really talks about is that the clitoris exists and it has one single purpose, which is sexual pleasure in people who have them. So, you know, I think that needs to be taken into consideration when we look at natural law. Also, someday someone will write a paper, I'm sure, on the clitoris if I don't do it before they do. The second thing is that a lot of times we get that phrase of spilling seed being sinful. And the story of spilling seed is the story of onan, um, which is where we get the word onanism. So there's some etymology there. Onanism is another word for masturbation. I did look up the etymology of masturbation. It comes from the Latin mas <laughs> it comes from the Latin um masturbari, which doesn't actually have a meaning outside of masturbation. So it's not an interesting one, sadly. Um but we could maybe further do research into the etymology of the word. But Onan, um, his sister in law's husband died. So his brother's wife died. And in the tradition at that time, he had to marry her. And give her a son. And the reason he had to do this is because women at the time didn't have the ability to own property. And therefore, your only way of having security financially was through your offspring. And specifically through a male offspring. And because her ex-husband had not given her that, she was, was married to her husband's brother in order so that her husband's brother could offer her that offspring. And what he was doing was he was pulling out um, every time that they would have sex in order to prevent her from having a child. And it doesn't go into too much like his motivations for doing this. But the reality is, is that ultimately he was doing what I think the equivalent today would be like stealing her social security checks. (laughs) 
And that's really what's sinful in that story. It's it's less about the pull-out method as a method of birth control, which is not an effective method of birth control. Don't try that. Um, actually, you know, the stats on it are like, if it's perfect use, I think it's like 80% effective. But anyway, um, you can look that up and make your own decisions around what birth control you want to use. I, as a sex coach, do not recommend pull-out method as a method of birth control. But like... Anyway, Onan wasn't really masturbating even. Onan was not providing her his ethical responsibility of providing her with an heir and ultimately social security. So I just like to pull that out because I think a lot of it. <laughs> oh, man. I just like to pull that out because I think it's it's important to know where these things come from and to then as an adult make a decision around did this make sense to me or does this not make sense to me from a biblical perspective, from a theological perspective, if you're Catholic and you're going off of natural law? Yeah. I, uh, I have a joke. Do you know what they call people who use the pull-out method? No. <laughs> Parents. Oh, <laughs> you can make that same joke for like fertility awareness method in a lot of cases. You could Not as well. all the time. Yeah. Condoms and birth control, people. Condoms and birth control. Um, I think that's, unless you have more you want to say, I think that's all we have for you today. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. As always, subscribe, like, and share. You can follow us on Instagram at sex positive Christian, I'm sorry, at sex positive Christian feminists. You can find Rachel at at rachel.alba.coaching. And me, Lori, at Lori Kimmerly. If you are interested in learning more about feminist theology and erotic spirituality, check out my programs at www.lauriekimmerly.com. And for Christian sex coaching, visit Rachel at www.sexwithspirit.com. We are the Sex Positive Christian Feminists, and we will see you next week for another conversation about sexuality, spirituality, and feminism. Bye.